Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica, also known as 1 Thessalonians. And I've entitled this new series, Sharing Ourselves, the heart and soul of Paul's earliest letter. Indeed, this is Paul's earliest known letter. And in fact, did you know that 1 Thessalonians is the earliest complete book in all of the New Testament? All of our Gospels, you may know, although they contain the story and the words of Jesus and pass along a lot of the very earliest Christian traditions, they weren't finally composed and put together until slightly later in time, making the Apostle Paul's writings the earliest writings in the New Testament, and this the earliest among those. In fact, 1 Thessalonians is the very earliest complete Christian text that we know of at all having been written, most scholars believe, sometime around the year 50, although some might place that earlier. I'm going to ask my folks in the sound booth to, to move us forward to a, a map that I brought with me this morning. I, I'm a, I happen to be a, a big map lover. And I brought this uh, map with me. I've got my fancy handy-dandy laser pointer with me. Because I want to point out to you where Thessalonica is. Thessalonica is way up there in what I'm going to call the armpit of Greece. <laughs> right up there. That's where the church that Paul is, is writing to this morning is located, uh, just north there of the Greek peninsula. Thessalonica was the capital city of that, of that northern region there that's just north of the city. Uh, there above the peninsula that's called Macedonia very near to where Aristotle had come from and where Alexander, had, Alexander the Great had come from just a few centuries before. And this map that I brought charts out the Apostle Paul's second of three missionary journeys, where it appears he was mostly focused on planting churches in several of the major cities of the larger Greek-speaking world there in the northeastern Mediterranean. The church that Paul had founded there in Thessalonica, in all likelihood, would have been a small to medium-sized house church. Can you imagine worshiping on a house in a house on a Sunday morning? Mostly made up of artisans and day laborers, free people of the middle classes that mostly worked with their hands on a daily basis. As you can see there on that map, that, that red line that tracks Paul's journey through the, through the Greek world. It moves on from Thessalonica on down south from there to Athens, where we read about him in Acts chapter 17, and then from there to the city of Corinth, where Paul wrote this letter that we're going to be spending some time reading. And you know, when the book of Acts describes this first visit of Paul's to the city of Thessalonica there at the beginning of chapter 17, it says that although welcomed by many of its people, there was a particularly hostile and rowdy bunch that sought to kick him out when he got there. And indeed, did kick him out of that city. And not only Paul, but the person who had opened up his house for Paul to stay with while he was there, whose name was Jason, he was attacked at his house for inviting Paul and dragged out before the city authorities. A rather contentious environment there for an otherwise eager and energetic little church. So already from the beginning, Paul's experience with the, 
The people of this budding church in Thessalonica was a very positive one, though, because of the ways that they, like this person Jason, who had opened up his house to Paul, shared themselves. Because of how they shared themselves. They were a very generous and very devoted people, apparently, and willing to take risks in order to to love and to serve and to extend a hospitable welcome to their sisters and their brothers in the faith. And when Paul took up his pen to write back to them from on down the road there, he had some really insightful thoughts on the importance and on the potential of this thing that they were already so gifted at. Sharing themselves. That's what this series is going to be about over these next several weeks. The importance and the enormous potential behind what can take place when we all lean into the work that God does on the inside of us and then share ourselves with the world around. You can move on to the the main slide now. And I want to ask you all a question this morning. Who is the person in your life that you would say has shared themselves with you in a significant and an impactful way? Maybe there's more than one. I'm going to invite you to think about that. And do me a favor. Think about that for, for a minute. When you get an idea of who that person or persons are, I want to ask you to take a moment and consider, write down even, what it looked like for them to share themselves with you. Many of you probably know that I am a huge J.R.R. Tolkien fan, and especially a fan of the Lord of the Rings, although I try not to bring that into my sermon illustrations all the time, although I could. And if you've ever read those books or seen the movies, you probably remember several of the main characters from it, like Frodo Baggins or Aragorn or Gimli the Elf. But, but did you know, did you know that there has been a pretty popular theory about those books, especially among some of the, the literati who study it, a theory that says that the, the main character in the whole of this story isn't Frodo, the one who carries the ring, isn't Aragorn, the one who's later recognized as the king, or anyone else that you might think of as the person of status or heroism, but is instead Frodo's best friend. Did you know that? All right. Samwise Gamgee. Now, as a longtime fan, I found that fascinating and mind-blowing when I first heard it. Not the hero who takes on the burdens, not the mighty swordsman or the wise old wizard, but the best friend of the hero who takes the burden. The one who goes along on the journey just because he's a faithful friend. The one who risks his own life and grows and suffers and encourages and keeps on walking forward, not out of some sense of burden to save the world, but because of his desire just to live and to love well. That that may just be the character that Tolkien most wants to put in front of our eyes for us to think about and to consider has long been an intriguing thought for me because it changes entirely what that whole story is about, doesn't it? 
Not so much about the quest to travel to the other end of the world to overthrow the power of evil, but about the faithfulness and the selflessness of the friend that shares his life with the one who felt that call. I mention that today as a famous example of the possible fruits of sharing ourselves. Because if that's the real story, just think of all the things that are able to happen because Sam shares himself. When Paul, and as we heard this morning, Silvanus and Timothy as well, opened their letter to the Thessalonian church, they very much have a similar thought running through their heart. Most of Paul's letters open in a similar way to this one, with a greeting and a thanksgiving. But this today is no ordinary greeting, and certainly not a bunch of empty words. Paul is really keying in here today on on something from the beginning that he's going to build on and reflect on through the whole of this letter. And that is, and that's about to, uh, and that is about the profound impact of how the people of this church have internalized and embodied the teachings of Jesus and then taken them out into the world through their lives. Take a look with me again at a couple of the key verses and phrases here in our reading for today. There in verse 5 and at the beginning of 6, as Paul describes his prayer of thanksgiving to God for the work and for the witness of this church, he says that his thanks is because, quote, our message of the gospel came to you not only in words, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. What he has to say there isn't so much about their beliefs or about what they might have uh, said with their mouths, but rather with how they received the message and lived it in power. Particularly important there is what he says about the people of this church having become imitators. In Greek, that word is mimetai, which is where we get our word mime from. To be imitators of the gospel. To live it. To mirror it out into the world around us. The way that they learned to grow in their becoming disciples was by observing and by imitating watching to see how these more mature disciples and apostles were living and then attempting to live similarly. And it goes on from there in verse 7 to say that after they had become imitators themselves, that they, quote, became an example then to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Can you see already what Paul is celebrating about this church? that they have allowed themselves to become imitators and then examples, living, breathing embodiments of the message of the gospel. That they've drilled down deep on a couple of things in their Christian formation. Number one, on becoming. 
that is not just receiving the message, but taking on the life of a faithful Christian disciple and then sharing that life. Taking it on a road with them. Living it out in public. He celebrates further there in verse 8. Uh, this, this very same fact when he says, for the, Lord, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. Their lives are the sermon, in other words. And I believe that the Apostle Paul has selected his words very carefully here because what he's really trying to say throughout this opening of the letter is that the lives of the people of this church in Thessalonica have done a great deal of talking on their own. They have a famous faith. As he says in verse 9, for the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you. What the Thessalonian church members have done so well and captured Paul's attention with is the way that they have taken on a life so that they can then share it powerfully. Now that's a powerful thought, friends. That this church's fame and impact on the world around them had very, very little to do with their knowledge or their words, but rather with their faithfulness in at first imitating and then taking on a life that they went out to share. You know, I'm going to talk more about that as the letter goes on to explore that theme further in the coming weeks, but today I just want to hold that first thought before us this morning, that becoming and growing as Christ's disciples, that being formed in our faith could be a matter of imitating and taking on a life so that we can then share that life with others. The people that we share our lives with and that have shared their lives with us are usually some of the most important and impactful people that we ever get to know, aren't they? So there's an insight here already about what that thing is that most needs to be shared with the world. It's ourselves. It's our lives. With them, so often, their impact is a matter of what happens over time, though, isn't it? That's why those people are so important, because we've been able to meet them and to grow with them, to live with them and learn from them rather than just hear their words. And what I would like to ask you to, to do as we explore this theme together over the next several weeks, is to ask yourselves a couple of questions here at the beginning. First of all, who is my life striving to imitate? Am I making an effort to walk in Christ's shoes and take on the life that he's calling me to live? And second of all, what do I intend for my life to speak? In the case of the Thessalonians, it was at least faith, at least welcome and hospitality. They were famous for it throughout that region, Paul says. And finally, a third question. Who am I opening my life to? Who am I allowing close enough to see 
and to be impacted? Do I allow enough people in my life to be impacted? Church, these are questions that are every bit as important for our life together today and our impact on the world around us as they were 2,000 years ago for this church that we're reading about. May God work in our hearts so that we too might be imitators and then sharers of the life that Christ has shown us all how to live. And all of God's people said, Amen.